everyone. Welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mazeppa, and this is a South Asian interracial relationship and lifestyle podcast. Welcome back for another episode. Alrighty, friends, we made it through another year. This is the last episode of 2022. I will be back in January. But until then, enjoy the break. I'll be enjoying the holidays, wedding anniversary, having a mental breakdown about turning 30, all the things that I do on any given day, really. So I'll be back soon. I hope you guys take some time to catch up on the older episodes. If you've considered being a guest on the show, now is a good time to fill out that guest application. I am scheduling recordings for January so we can get new episodes up and running soon. Um, and if you do miss me while I'm gone, Prime and Prejudice is still running. Next Thursday, there will be an episode covering Never Have I Ever, which is like such a fun show and I loved talking about it. So if you love Brown Girl TV, make sure you're subscribed to Prime and Prejudice. Without further ado, my guest is Zara. She is living in the UK. She lives with her boyfriend and she is a practicing Shia Muslim. Around here, most people are like, I'm not super religious. And that sort of ends the whole conversation about religion. But it can be a little bit different when you faith is very actively a part of your life. She did not ask her boyfriend to convert. They do live together. We get into all of the things, managing her parents, managing expectations, your relationship with your community, your faith, how to have two faiths under one roof. It's definitely a religion-heavy episode, but I think she had a lot of really well-thought-out ideas to share. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Zara. Hi, everyone. We're here with Zara. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, so hi, my name is Zara. I am 25 years old um, and I uh, grew up in the UK, in London specifically, I guess my relationship. So I've been in an interracial relationship for just over three years now. Um, and we met through a family friend. Um, we have been living together for just over a year. So that's you know, something, it's quite big. Uh, we're, you know, having big conversations about marriage. Uh, he recently went and spoke to my parents about the prospect of marriage and, you know, asking for their blessing and that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess that's a little bit about my relationship and where it's at now. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you grew up. Yeah. So, um, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in London, um, in, like the outskirts of London and um I'm from a a Shia Muslim family um I grew up in a in a Shia Muslim household which I guess for those of you who don't know uh is is a minority group um in the sects of Islam uh it's it's quite a conservative minority group they have very specific practices around like um you know particular times in the Islamic calendar like Muharram um which is uh, like uh, it's it's difficult to explain, but it's like an observed month of like mourning, so to speak. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of things that happen in that month in particular, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, most Shias um, originate from countries like Iraq, um, Iran, and some some South Asian countries as well. So my family is Pakistani. Um, my mum 
is uh, is an immigrant. Uh, she she moved to the UK when she married my dad, um, which was a very long time ago. <laughs> uh, but my dad was was born here, so I guess like my family is um, a an interesting mix of of being a very specific kind of Muslim, having like immigrant roots, and also my dad being from not an immigrant I guess so he had a very different experience to my mum um and within all of that mishmash <laughs> I ended up going to quite a conservative catholic school for nine years of my life so that was my my upbringing <laughs> uh in terms of my education which is always I feel like quite a weird thing about my life experience that I came from quite a conservative Muslim family and yet I went to a really strict catholic school so I was literally in the entire school. It was a very small school, but in the entire school, there was two of us who were brown in the whole school. Uh, everyone else was uh, was white. So that was an interesting way, I guess, to have your upbringing shaped and your life started, I guess. Absolutely. It's an interesting choice even, I guess, for your parents to make because, like you said, you were raised pretty conservative Muslim. <laughs> um, and how did you meet your partner? It's it's a bit of a funny one because I'm sure we met before we actually officially met, quote, quote unquote, um, because my family, um, this is a very convoluted story, but basically my little brother is autistic um, and he was diagnosed when he was, he was quite young. And there was a teacher in his life that really supported him and gave him like extra classes. And my parents basically, you know, met her through the support that my brother needed. Um, We became closest families. So she had two sons. Um, I was quite close with her younger son, Um, not relevant to the story, but I I, I am no longer actually uh, in touch with him. And then I became closer to the older son because I was very close with the family for many years. Um, and my partner is the older son's best friend. So they went to school together and yeah, so there's the reason I say it's convoluted and I'm sure I've met my partner before we think we officially met is because there's some photographs that my dad took at a housewarming party and I was maybe like 15 or 16 at the time. And my dad actually took a picture of my now partner, um, with his best friend and the group of friends, which is really bizarre. So I think we must've met you know, over the years when we were a bit younger, but we have no recollection of that. So we met at a, a summer party at this family friend of ours uh, get together. Um, and this is going to sound so cliche, but it is the genuine truth in that I had just got out of a relationship. I was like, yeah, ready to have like my hot girl final year of university. Um, was not like thinking about, you know, connecting with someone, dating. That was just not on my radar. Um, but I walked into this party and I saw my now partner and I was like, oh, okay, you know, he's, he's cute. Um, but for me, I think what really did it was that we were trying to talk and like have a conversation. And there was another guy there and he was kind of like interrupting the conversation and my part, my now partner and I were like looking at each other and I could tell he was uncomfortable. And I think he could tell I was uncomfortable. And I think it was just that connection that for me did it. It was like, okay, hold on a minute. Like I'm communicating with someone without actually communicating with them. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, so we met at this party and then, uh, oh gosh, we then 
I think, yeah, we then connected through Facebook and I guess the rest is history. We went on a couple of dates. We realized we liked each other. Um, And I was actually going back to university at this point. So he's a couple of years older than me. He graduated, um, you know, obviously a number of years earlier than I had. So um, we were like in, I guess, a semi-long distance relationship. And I say semi because my university was only about an hour and a half from London. Um, So we would just like, you know, see each other every like couple of weeks and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess a bit, a bit about how, how we met one another. I went into lots of details, but it's, it's, it's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. No, we love to hear it. Everyone loves a meet cute. Um, but how did your parents take it? So interestingly, um, they, they had known about a previous relationship that I had been in, which was with somebody who was not a Muslim and was, uh, not South Asian at all. And I don't know if they didn't take that relationship as very serious um, because they seem to be not that bothered um, about my previous relationship, but more bothered by my relationship when I, I guess like when it started progressing and the way I started talking about it. And I think that in itself is quite interesting that they obviously knew I was in a relationship with someone prior to my partner and it wasn't a huge deal in the sense that they were okay with me dating. Um, I'm not going to pretend that there weren't, you know, conversations about, Oh, well, if this is serious, like, is he gonna, you know, convert to Islam and that kind of thing. They definitely were, but I think they could tell that my previous relationship wasn't that serious. It was more like I was figuring myself out. I was, exploring something which I which I do think is quite a a unique thing from my background it's being from a conservative Shia Muslim background my parents knew I had a boyfriend that boyfriend lived in a different country because he was doing a placement year abroad I would fly and go and see him my parents knew about all of that um but I think part of what made them okay with it uh, did, gosh, I didn't think I'd be talking about this, but um, I think part of what made them okay with it is that I have quite an open relationship with my parents, but I also know that they take what I say at face value. So I learned to lie a lot, which a lot of you know young women from my background did. So if my mum asked me, like, are you sleeping in the same bed? I'd be like, uh, no. And she would just believe me at face value. So I think part of what was okay about my previous relationship is that they saw it as a friendship they didn't see it as something more intimate or deep so when it came to telling them about my current partner and me wanting to I was a bit older I wanted to like be more honest and live my life with a bit more integrity and you know kind of tell my parents like actually you don't know who I am like and this is who I am and this is my boundaries and this is how I want to live my life that's when I got the pushback so What's difficult is they never had a problem with my partner in the sense that um, they didn't care that he wasn't from a South Asian background. That was never a problem for my parents. The problem was that he wasn't Muslim. That was that was the big the big like deal breaker for them. And I guess that comes from the very like, you know, widespread notion in the Muslim community that Muslim women are not allowed to marry out of 
uh, the religion, but men are allowed to. So I think that was the that was the thing for for my mum. Actually, I think way more than my dad. But I think in saying all of this stuff, I think there's there's some other context that's really important. I think for like your listeners as well. In is that. I didn't have the easiest childhood. I was very sick when I was a child. I had cancer. So for my parents, actually the fact that I was alive, I was living a happy life um, was most important to them. So I actually have seen my parents, you know, when I was growing up, like talking to my aunties and uncles about like the prospect of me being married when I was older and about what background said person might be. So it's clearly on other people's radar that I might not end up with someone for who is South Asian or Muslim, but my parents clearly didn't catch on. Um, and my mum being like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it, you know, as long as she's happy, it, it, that, that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, I mean, she always said to me, the conversations that I had with my parents were always like, it doesn't matter who the person is, as long as they're Muslim. That was the only criteria I was given. Um, so, and, and to be honest, I think to expect someone to convert to your faith, it's a huge ask. And my mum always pitched it as if someone loves you enough, they'll do it. And I think that's really wrong. And my, 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 uh, beliefs on that have changed massively, but it was all I knew and it was all I had ever been told. So it took me a very long time to understand like how much of an expectation that is and actually how wrong that expectation is, because if I wouldn't change myself or, who I am and how I live my life with faith. Why? Why would I expect somebody else to do that for me? It just it just doesn't sit right with me. When if someone asked me, um, you know, would you be become? I don't know. I'm just going to pull Christianity out there because mm-hmm. that's the background that I know best. If someone said to me, "You have to convert to Christianity to be with me," well, frankly, I would say no because I'm a Muslim and I believe in Islam. So that's a Yeah, I mean, it took me a very long time to realize that, but it is something that I have have realized is wrong. So I think, I guess they took it quite well, but I also didn't know the answers to their questions at the time. I I didn't know if my partner was open to converting to Islam. I didn't know, you know, some of these the answers to some of these big questions. Um, so we had like lots of backs and forths with them. Uh, me having conversations with my partner, me talking to my parents and this whole thing. And it was really painful. It was a very, very difficult experience of my life. There were times when it would all get better and then it would all come crashing down again. And then some auntie in the community would make a comment and it would all come crashing down again and we would make some progress and we would step back. It, it was it was a process. Um, so I guess like the long and short of it is they took it better than most people from my community would have but did they take it well probably not and have they made a lot of mistakes over the way along the way absolutely yeah they have and you know it's it's still a work in progress it's still something we're figuring out as a family um there's been things that have happened in our lives recently with you know comments from other people and uh wider family members and my parents have a very like actually quite a supportive view compared to what they may have initially felt, you know, a number of years ago. You're making a good point in that one illness has an interesting way of giving everyone a little perspective. And it's unfortunate that sometimes that's how far it has to go. And even on a more surface level, forget who your child ends up dating. Like 
when you talk about taking care of your health, because I work in healthcare, until someone has a heart attack or a stroke and gets a really hard reality check, they don't get up and make any lifestyle changes until they that there's a very specific like perspective change that happens um, about what matters in life. Um, but you're right. That was part of it. And I do agree with what you say about like how it's a little bit problematic to make statements like if they love you, they'll convert. It's almost like if you start any sentence with that, like if you love me, you'll do this. Like it's deeply manipulative. I feel, and it can be, oh, yeah. again, more surface level. It could just be like, if you love me, you won't wear that. Or if you love me, you won't eat that. And it's, oh yeah, it's, yeah. And I, I, I do get flack for saying it, um, but I do agree with you on that point. Um, and it's a slippery slope, right? About where the boundary lies. If if you do one thing, then do you have to do another? And then do you have to do another yeah. and another? You know, then, it's then no where balls. do you draw the line exactly about like how much love you can give? And what actually is the, de- I mean, this to me is not the definition of love. I think we will probably both agree on that. Um, but unfortunately, and I don't blame my mother for this. I think this is what she was taught love was. This is, this is how she has experienced it in in her being and that's a really difficult thing to unlearn I think and then not pass on to your family and your children yeah absolutely and you said within your community like the Islamic community I guess in the UK um is it different there than I guess like the Islamic community here in the US I don't know how it is anywhere but I know for like the Hindu Indians that I know in the UK and in the US, there's a lot of like distinct differences. And I feel like the families in the UK are one more progressive Two, they live differently. So if you're Hindu in the US, most of them were raised either only eating chicken and fish and or vegetarian. Whereas in the UK, our cousins there eat pork, they just don't eat beef. Because in Hinduism, like you don't eat beef. So like, there's like really like, and like there are family, like it's not like they're a completely different. Yeah, group of course. People. Um, are there distinctions like that? Do you know? I, I mean, like as so, I do have cousins who are in the U.S. and, like for example, I know that there's a. The, uh, I actually asked this question recently, um, in like a a women's group on Facebook because, um, I just had yeah I had a question about halal meat, and I know that. In the UK, like Muslims only eat meat that they know explicitly is halal and that has come from a halal butcher. You know, it's we have like our own butchers mm-hmm. and everything. Whereas I think in the US, and for, to anyone listening who hears me say this and is like, she's wrong, I'm sorry, this is just what I understand, is that if th- there's something called zabiya halal, which means that like, if you like say a prayer or like you say bismillah, I think, they then believe that that meat is halal. So that's one big difference that I know about. I also think that it's a lot more common in the US to go to like Islamic schools and like extracurriculars. This does also happen in the UK, but I think it's just more widespread over there. Like, I don't know if that, yeah, it's, there are just some differences. Um, and I And I sometimes wonder, is that because, I'm not to, I want to pick my words correctly with this, I'm not sure if like 
the US is obviously such a large country. So very small communities have have built and they have they are very strong small communities but specifically in london and the uk there are a lot of muslims and i I don't know if maybe that integration into like life is different in some ways i don't know that's just my yeah that's a fair point that's a fair point because you're right like here it's so big so that the communities that exist within it are much more tight-knit exactly yeah because they're just more spread out and they're slightly less a part of the everyday culture but that is it's changing in different places depending on where you live so like new jersey where i live there are literally so many indians here that like the schools are closed for diwali wow like new New york city just passed it too like there are literally that many indians like half of the board of ed in edison are all patels like that, you know, they run for government offices here. The, you know, all the, they're just, even like Diwali, like they have decorations and sales and like they've definitely commercialized the holiday here. Um, but, you know, it is nice like feeling like I can go to the mall and like watch a little like Indian dance performance while I'm shopping. Like that's cool. Um, so it, it does de- vary depending on where you live. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably definitely part of it is that like experience changes in different countries. I think I think that's a, that's yeah. a huge thing. Um, more, more specifically, I, th- I mean, that's the stuff that I've commented on. That's what I know the most about, I think. But um, yeah, I think there are some differences. Yeah. Okay. Um, you moving off to something a little bit more about your relationship. You guys live together now, we but do. you're not married. How did we get to that point? So interesting. And this is, I guess, where my like Shia background comes in. So I'll I'll start by saying we are not married in the UK, like legally, and we are not uh we haven't had like our full Muslim marriage yet. But I, the reason I use the word full, and it might not be something that lots of people are familiar with, but in in Shia Islam, there's something called uh, a madanika, which is literally translates to it's a temporary marriage. Um and the idea of it and the, the way it's being used by young Shia Muslims in everyday life now in the 21st century is it's kind of a form of halal dating, so to speak. Right. So when you look at like religion, you're never going to see a relationship between a man and a woman or between two people, I should say, as anything other than under the like tenets of marriage. Right. So this is like basically allowing people to explore their relationship, be in a relationship that both their families know about, uh, live together, and you choose a set amount of time that you want to be in this arrangement for. And then at the end of the arrangement, you either, uh, it's quite contractual in a lot of ways, but you either like renew it because you're like, hold on a minute, I still need more time before I commit to marriage. Or you have a, you get married at that point, or you decide that you want to end it. And if you want to end it sooner than that, you also can. So that is the reason I bring that up is um, my partner and I only moved in together after, well, I say after, basically the point of which we started living together roughly lined up with when we did that. And that was definitely a pacification for my family, to be honest with you. It was a thing that just we just did to make them happy because things were really, really tough with them. Um, it was it was a very, very difficult time for mm-hmm. us as you know, a couple and for us as a family, a wider family as well. So 
we guess I guess you could say we're semi-married right <laughs> we're somewhere in between <laughs> dating we're married light. married yes, light exactly virgin. exactly um so the reason I well so I mentioned that but it was really it's a big deal it has been a controversial thing you know my partner and I live in together it is the hot topic in like the the wider family like oh she's living with a boy how could she the scandal um it was it was something that I kind of knew would be a thing I knew I knew it would it would be controversial but I just didn't care (laughs) you know if I'm being completely honest um it was a decision that we made. I always said to my parents that I found it really difficult, the idea of marrying someone without living with them. I, I found that quite a, a difficult concept to wrap my head around. I was like, what if the person's really disgusting? Like they're like yeah. really gross. And then you don't want to, you don't want to be married to them then, you know? Yeah. And my mom was like, oh, well, you know, marriage is compromise. Marriage is compromise to an extent in my, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you have to learn to live in harmony with one another. With one another, but I'm like, there could be so many deal breakers that you just don't know about until you live together. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm rambling, but it it was not easy for my parents at all, and it's something that comes up often. You know, my mum saying, I always imagined you'd leave this house as a married woman. I always imagined I'd give you away, and. You know, now that we're like nearly two Such years, a strange perspective, <laughs> giving um, your child away. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre, and it's something that I I don't get. And I think now, I mean, that I'm, you know, over a year living with my partner. If my mom brings it up, I'm like, yo, it's been and gone now. It's happened. Like, just just get over it. Like, it's it's you're not going to change it. I'm not going to come running back home and yeah. living at home. And to be honest, leaving home was one of the best decisions I ever made for my mental health and for my relationship with my parents. My relationship with my parents has improved, you know, irrespective of my partner, has improved so much. You know, I actually cherish the time I spent with them. It's quality time. I'm not like, we're not in each other's hair all of the time anymore, you know? So it's really changed that dynamic a lot. And my mum finds that very difficult. Um, I don't think my dad really cares that much. My dad is very chill human. And I wonder, I've wondered a lot whether um, the fact that my mum is an immigrant and my dad isn't, whether that has changed kind of their perspective on things a bit and like how they react to things. Because there's concepts about life in the UK that my mum just doesn't understand. I don't think she ever will, but because my dad was born here and lived his entire life here, he just it just makes sense to him. So I think that is a big that plays a big part in actually how they have been parents and the things that they struggle with, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's also partially that he is the man of the house? Like in our culture, like generally the men kind of call the shots for lack of a better phrase that because he's more chill and like doesn't think some of these things are a big deal like even though maybe they are to your mom she can't make as much of a fuss about it 
So I would, I would say yes. However, I definitely live in a matriarchal household. Like my mum is the boss, like hundred <laughs> percent. But what, what I did think about as you were speaking is my dad has often been very silent, you know, in situations that have been very heated. He's trying to try to teach me like silence is the answer saying yes, mom is the answer. And that is like against every fiber of my being (laughs) of my personality. Um, so at times I think he's, he's been too quiet, even when he's actually been on my side or objectively agreed with me on something, or I know he holds the same view as me. He won't fight my mom on it. He'll be very quiet, but that that's what's worked for him. It's what's Mm -hmm. kept him in a, in a happy marriage, I guess. I don't know. We (laughs) that, that could be unpacked another day. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes it's been easier for him to just not not fight mm-hmm. as much. Whereas I'm a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> so many of my guests are. Um, one thing you brought up was choosing to do things for your parents as an attempt to compromise, to appease them. Because at the end of the day, our parents aren't perfect. They're trying their best. And... There's, you know, like you, I am very much a fighter. I am very much the one who's going to stand her ground. But there are times where it's like, this is not worth not compromising or just like doing the thing to appease them. Um, And for you, it was really cool. I've never heard of the like marriage light. That's what I'm calling it. Um, (laughs) uh, For like... I guess you said it's specific to Shia Muslims. Yeah, so it, it it is it is known about in like the wider Muslim community, but it's not like they don't they. How do I put this? It's not like accepted by the wider Muslim community as a practice that okay. is acceptable, right? Yeah. So that's why I say it's a it's a Shia Muslim mm-hmm. like marriage light edition. <laughs> how do you pick and choose the things that you're? willing to compromise on and not willing to compromise on? That's a very tricky question. And I don't always get it right. Um, I think, I guess using my experience of when we chose to take this decision together, it was that I didn't, I couldn't see how it would affect our relationship and how we wanted to live. And actually, um, it wasn't necessarily in opposition with the way our relationship was progressing and where we were at I think I think that for me if it's not affecting or affecting me as in like I can't like do something and live my life how I want to or you know there isn't something that holds like deep deep emotional value for me or us as a couple then sometimes, you know, it it is just worth not having the fight. And this was one of those things I, I could not see. So my partner actually had a, had a different perspective. He was worried that it would create an expectation for more. And I said, actually, you know, we've set our boundaries about what, you know, we're happy to compromise on. And I was very clear with my parents. I was like, look, we are doing this for you guys because we love you, but that's it you know, I was very open and honest, like, this is the boundary, we will do this, but there's no more. Um, And in this instance, I was right, it improved our relationship with my parents so much, you know, my parents 
I mean, my mum like goes around and says that she basically has a son-in-law now and she's very open about like talking about my partner, sharing our photographs when she like sees her friends and all of this. We're actually going on a trip this Christmas to Pakistan, which is huge. Like we're going there as an technically an unmarried couple. Um, so, you know, it, it, it did take a lot of steps forward. Now, you know, there, there are some things that I'm not willing to compromise on, and that have been a big uh, dilemma for me and have been like uh, things that, you know, I'm not sure where to draw the line. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't think you ever really have the right answer. And I'm trying to, you know, live my life as much as I can for myself, keeping myself happy. And obviously now my partner as well. And it's, it's, it's actually becoming comfortable with the idea that you're going to be a disappointment and that that's okay. And that's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> if no, I, being, I agree. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not the end of the world. And, uh, you know, no one's going to die if you make a choice that someone else is going to upset someone. Um, no one is going to get ill. I think that's a big thing where like I have been put in positions where I have been, you know, said, things like or people have people have said things to me I should say like you know you know you're making me ill you're making me feel this you're making me do that and it's like actually no you're choosing to feel these things you're choosing to then manipulate me it's not it's not gonna ride it's not it's not gonna happen anymore um so it's actually remembering that no one's no one's gonna get hurt physically no one is gonna get ill and it will all be okay like riding out the storm is hard but eventually you know the storm passes I think is is a thing that I have learned and it's what I try and to use to make my choices about what things I fight about and what things I don't fight about. There is something freeing about just accepting being the family disappointment because I do that too. Like I'll tell people, I'm like, yeah, I'm the family disappointment, but like now there's no expectations. Just <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. They've just like semi given up. Exactly. Like I'm going to be the one who, who married the white person. Oh, like yeah. that's fine. You know, yeah. it's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's also really interesting that, um, more recently I've realized like people have a view because they're scared that it gives their kids options. So a lot of my cousins are a lot older than I am. They've got kids, um, who are like a similar age to my younger brother or are like even younger. And it's like, God forbid your children think that what I'm doing is okay. And like, they live their lives for them. And it's, it, yeah, I just find the whole thing really fascinating. I think that's a really big thing. It's like, if I like say that this is okay, or I say this isn't like disappointing or unacceptable, then I'm making it out to my children that I like, I obviously don't yeah. think those things and they can do those things. So, you know, I really hope that the next generation of kids and my family live life for themselves. And whether that means they with someone who is exactly like our family and like comes to the same background or that that means they don't I just hope that they learn that actually being you know the person who doesn't always live up to the expectations isn't a bad thing if you're the one who's happy at the end of it yeah absolutely and like sometimes like the cultural policing it almost feels like an attempt at self-preservation as a community that like, if we just like police each other all the time, it will hold this community together instead of seeing like someone like you or me marrying someone who's not white as if that's so interesting, like a crack in the wall. Yeah. 
And if there's too many cracks in the wall, the whole building comes down. A hundred percent. But I think that says more about the like boundaries in which you're operating in than the decisions mm-hmm. that are being made. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, it's. <laughs> they, they build their own prison. That's how I describe it. I'm like, I think that's, I think that's quite mm-hmm. apt. So they, and it's like, it, because here's the thing, if, if the building comes down, if there's too many cracks in the wall, it leaves everyone inside exposed. Mm. Because like, if you're within everyone who believes the same thing as you, it keeps validating your own ideas and thoughts and, yeah. you know, often closed minded beliefs. But if everyone else can now look in, those people aren't going to validate you. Mm-hmm. Those people are going to call you out for what it is, which is like, for me, like just a lot of ignorance sometimes. Mm. I I think also as well. Um, so I am. I, we were before we started recording. Obviously, we were chatting about how like I'm a woman who you know considers still considers herself to be a Muslim. I yeah. practice my faith, and that is um, something that I have found a little difficult. Is that to the rest of my family, as in my wider family beyond my nuclear family of my parents and my younger brother, I am now the woman who is not a Muslim because of the choice that I've made and that I, I, I can't be a Muslim. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like the, their computers say no. Um, and it, even, you know, people speak so openly about it even now to me, because one of my cousins who I'm now no longer speaking to as of very recently, um, sent me a long message about how like, basically the long and short of it, he's not willing to welcome my partner into his home because he doesn't see us as married. Although, as we've discussed, we're in mm. marriage light version, yeah. which is acceptable, you know, in my family and in the community. And if my partner were a Muslim man, be very different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he basically said in that message, you know, if you want to live your life as a Muslim person, then I can tell you like the, you know, basically the religious, uh, the religious uh, belief about and like what scholars to look at and that kind of thing and I find that so interesting that it can only be someone else's version of Islam and being a woman who's grown up in Britain who has had quite like a unique experience through my health and my life and going to a Catholic school for many years you know I I I grew up with a lot of confusion like I, I was told I was Muslim at home I went to school. I was literally in mass. Like I know so many Bible passages and like how to read the rosary. I like read in mass. Like I know the whole thing um, because of my experience. And so for many, many years, I was actually quite confused on my faith. And I I, I wasn't really sure what I believed. I definitely went through a period of my life not believing. um, And that was something that was quite difficult, I guess, to navigate, like all of these feelings and what my identity was and where I fit in, where I truly felt like I belonged as well, because of all of these, this mishmash that is my life. Um, And it was only, interestingly, when I met my partner that I started thinking about who I was. And I always knew probably when I was like 16 or 17, I was like, okay, well, I think I'm a Muslim. Like it makes the most sense, you know, this stuff that I've been feeling about not being religious, maybe it's rooted in, um, you know, pain about the things that I've been through in my life, feeling like if God existed, then why have I been through these things? There was a lot of those emotions, but I got to that age and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I'm a Muslim. 
Um, and then for a long time, I didn't really think about it. It's in, it's for me, it's crazy that it was actually my relationship with my partner and his questions about what I believed and why I believed it have actually led me much closer to my faith than I've ever been in my life. Um, which I have said and shared with people in my family and they just, they just cannot see those two things marrying up. And the reason I, I, I think it's to do with sort of my relationship, it was because it was the first time someone challenged my belief. They challenged why I believe something. And so I had to go away and I had to think about it. I had to research. I read the Quran for the first time in my life from start to finish in like seven or eight months with the Quran teacher myself of my own choice. No one forced me to do it. No one asked me to do it. I said to my mom, actually, can you connect me with someone? I want to learn. I want, I want to understand. Um, so the fact that he's not the same like doesn't have the same belief system as me doesn't matter because actually he has given me something um and that I, I have never got in my life before when it comes to my spirituality he has challenged me and that has ultimately led me closer to god in mm-hmm. a very literal sense um but you know the community don't see it like that they don't see it as a positive thing they see they they see me as someone who's who is choosing to live their life against um for, for for lack of better words against like their ideas of what it is to be a Muslim and so therefore you can't be one um so I I, I don't know if uh I don't know if that's the case but I obviously don't think it is yeah and I mean I agree because a lot of us just grew up like and like everyone forget like where you live like whatever religion you are you are that because your parents were that Hundred percent. So you you know, I grew up, we would go to Garba, we would go to temple, like do the thing. And like my mom would just tell me what to do and like this is the holiday, you do this thing. I'm like, all right, cool. And you've never stopped to think about why or what it means. And then you get a partner who's not that, and they're like, Why do you do that? Why do you do that? When is this gonna be? And I'm literally sitting there like, I don't know. Yeah. And like you had to go do some research. And yeah, I've learned a lot more about my culture and my religion because of my husband even though like he's catholic and like he does his thing and so actually i don't know if he's catholic i think he's an atheist i that that's an interesting <laughs> i should know that but like again like his parents are catholic they go to church every sunday but like he doesn't go to church and like he says he doesn't believe in god and i believe him when he says that no but do you know what I think it's so interesting that you say oh like I don't know that but like it's it's not a bad thing because faith at least in my opinion is such a deeply personal thing it's such a thing between me and God literally um so I think like obviously you know Islam has a lot of like you know community prayer and like there's a specific phrase that I'm looking for that is failing me right now. Like my brain is failing me, but like basically like organ organized religion. That's it. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily a big fan of organized religion because I feel like it then creates pressure. It creates like echo chambers that are not always the most positive. And actually ultimately what really matters is your relationship with your creator and living a good life and being a good person, living like a morally good life. And I think that, you know, I think my partner's a good person um, and and he is a wonderful person. And for us, we just find our morals and values from different places. For him, it's just like 
being him and like he he studied philosophy so he you know believes in a lot of like core philosophy beliefs and that kind of thing for me it's like I was taught like to be who I am because I was raised in a Muslim household I grew up with very strong Catholic values as well and they're all just the same they're just from different they have a different starting point and that to me is actually what's most important is two people being the same and having the same beliefs and values Um, beyond that it doesn't really it's it's not so complicated and so deep Mm -hmm. and I feel like everyone knows every religion preaches the same general idea of values you know, like, don't be a piece of shit is the moral of the story for quite literally every religion. And yet they all, people who, like, very strongly believe in whatever they believe in are, like, on this agenda to, like, deny everyone else's belief as if it's somehow so different. And, and you said, like you said, like, your, everyone's religion is deeply personal and it's a relationship that is always changing Mine is always changing. I mean, like you, there was a point where I was like, I don't think I believe in anything. Then I had to figure out why everything is what it is. And I read all the different books. I also went to a Catholic university. Um, And so there was a lot of questions and things. And even now, I don't know 100% of everything that I believe. I think there's Mm -hmm. a higher being. I think there's – I believe in the universe. Let's say that. It's much more spiritual where it's like everything's connected and like I very much believe in karma, like what you put out there comes right back to you sort of thing. Um, And so – but like it's always changing and I think that's where sometimes people get stuck with religion as if it's like this static, unchanging thing when in reality the big religions that currently exist haven't existed for the entirety of man Exactly. Islam is is the youngest religion like ever. I'm pretty yeah. sure at least Hinduism is one of the oldest. Exactly. So it just it just doesn't you know the length of time of its existence and all of these things it doesn't actually mean that much it's about really where you feel connected and you feel like you know is the right space for you more than anything. Um yeah. And you mentioned that you are still practicing and one thing that comes up a lot on this show, most people would just be like, I'm not super religious. And then so the religious conversation doesn't really need to happen. Um, but because you are still practicing, how are you able to sort of incorporate that into your life and like balance the two if it becomes something that is it a very prominent part of your, I guess, day to day? Or is it more like this is just part of my religion? I do my thing. Yeah, so I guess like the times where it becomes most prominent for me personally is during Ramadan. So I do fast during Ramadan, which is currently during the summer. So it's starting getting up really early and eating very late. And, you know, that was the first time my partner had experienced that in its truest form. You know, I had my alarm on for like 3 a.m. and I was dragging myself out of bed. Um, And so, so I guess Ramadan is, is a big thing. I mean, for my relationship, you know, my partner was very supportive. He just worries about my health. So I know my boundaries. Like I didn't do all of my fastest Ramadan, but I did, I did quite a bit of them. Um, and he like cooked us a nice meal and he very sweetly on most, if not all days waited until I broke my fast so that we could eat together. Um, I think it was definitely a process for him, you know, eating lunch during the day when I wasn't eating or drinking anything, you know, he's had to like, overcome barriers is you know 
or like boundaries himself about what he feels comfortable with. And I'm like, for God's sake, like I'm fasting. It's not a big deal. And actually as a Muslim, you're meant to like continue living your life as normal when you are fasting. You're not meant to like, you know, hide away from restaurants or like not hang out with your friends, that kind of thing. So I think that's, that's one. Second is during Muharram. Like I'm a Shia Muslim. So t- first 10 days of Muharram are really, I mean, most Shias observe the whole month, but me personally, it's the 10 days that resonate the most. So we don't listen to music in the house for those first 10 days. I go to the mosque on like, on some of those days I go by myself, which is, which is completely fine. Um, on 10th of Muharram, like, um, my partner like asked me about it and we talk about it a little bit. So really I, I look at faith as a very personal thing, but I also practice it very personally as well. I don't, you know, impose it on my partner or, you know, on my friends. It's, it's something that I choose to do. Like I would still hang out with my friends during Ramadan, as I mentioned. So like, it's just a thing that I do. Um, obviously there is that big, you know, question mark of what does that mean for our kids? But because I look at religion as such a personal thing for me, it's actually just, you know, empowering them with knowledge about everything, about all the different beliefs of the world, how everyone chooses, you know, how different people choose to live their lives in different ways. And ultimately, as long as they're good people, it doesn't matter. The rest is it's up to like the universe to shape them to be who they are because they're their own people. That is a very big dilemma for my family though, like from for definitely from my parents. And it's something that I think is the thing that my mum worries about the most now, despite being very accepting of our relationship. It's actually like, but what about the kids? What about my grandkids? What's gonna happen to them? And and, and this kind of thing. Um so I, I've had conversations with her about how I see that should be because I also have very openly said, like, I don't believe I'm a Muslim because I was born as one. I ch- I choose to be a Muslim, you know, that is a, a choice I made. Is it more likely that, you know, yes, my childhood experiences have influenced me? Of course they have. But ultimately, I went through a period of my life where I didn't believe anything. I didn't practice anything. I didn't even pray. Um, but now I do choose to do those things. And those are an active decision. Uh, a decision-making process um but it's something that they find very difficult and I imagine they probably will always find difficult but ultimately like they raised us I say to my my mom all the time I'm like you chose to raise us how you wanted now you've got to let us raise our kids how we want to even if it isn't the easiest decision Mm -hmm. you know easiest thing for you to to have to see exactly and I you know as long as like you said like your your partners are willing and like it would be an issue if our partners had a problem with our religion but it's like do your thing whatever like you know even like michael will go to temple with me sometimes but like you know it's i think hinduism at least for me is more of a cultural thing and less of a religious thing it's like really hard to separate the two if you're indian um especially if you're like a Hindu Indian, like that's just, it's, you know, and double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. And so for him, like, you know, he's, he'll go to temple, but it's not to worship. It's more just cultural things, but I also have no problem going on my own. And I think because religion is such a community thing that a lot of people have a hard time grasping that like someone can go to temple or mosque or wherever on their own and not with their spouse. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like also as well, mosques are 
I'm pretty sure most, if not all mosques are segregated. So like, why would my partner, who is not a Muslim, come to the mosque with me to then not even be in a space with me? So it, it would be it would be very difficult for him, if I'm being honest. Um, also, like, I think, oh, I don't want to say something that's maybe too controversial, but I think maybe at times, you know, the Muslim community or very small Muslim communities like my own, aren't always accepting of something that's different or that's like outside of, 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 of the norm. So if somebody rocked up to the mosque and they like weren't, you know, visibly as far as they could tell a Muslim, they would probably find it quite unusual. So I think it, it wouldn't be something that I would necessarily want or encourage. Um, but we do practice things at home. So like around Eid, we did like a little celebration in our home. We invited my family, we invited his family, and we did like an Eid and Easter, like hybrid celebration because it was near Easter this year. So it's like things like that, that we do to try and like make it part of both of our lives. But ultimately like it is, it is a thing that I do and I choose to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. As you said, it's okay to go and do those things independently. Yeah. And I do wonder how much of it is like our identities are wrapped up in our community. So then to have your own identity, like in a relationship can be like difficult for some people. And I'm not saying it happens overnight. Like I've never pushed religion on my husband and I'm not massively religious to be honest but like there is comfort in going to temple it's a familiar place the hymns are very familiar you know it's like really pretty like it's very chill at temples and so sometimes I just like going there and like my family does like for the first few times found it really bizarre that I would just go and like sometimes Mike wouldn't be there Mm. and I was like oh like he was like taking a nap. Like it wasn't even like a like a solid reason. It was like he was asleep on the couch and like there was no reason for him to like need to be here. Yeah. So I just like came on my own and like they like it has been a journey for them to understand that like that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think I don't know if it's I I I I think that I imagine Hinduism as well and Islam. They're very community based faiths so they just can't they just they they just can't compute it right I think I mentioned I said this phrase earlier in the podcast like the computer says no so how could it be possible how could you be happy like these things just don't make sense um to to everyone um but I think that they're perfectly okay you know we're okay with it I'm okay with it if I have a problem with something you know irrespective of the religion being the forefront of the topic like I will discuss that with my partner because we are two human beings who talk to each other we figure things out together like that's what a good Mm -hmm. relationship is and speaking about talking to your partner if there are people listening who are kind of navigating this right now that are maybe trying to have the discussion about religion in their relationship do you have any tips for them because I'm sure there are lots of people who are religious but feel like if they step out of the culture or religion and date someone different, that it's going to be so much more difficult, but then don't know how to navigate it. Yeah. I think for me, one of the biggest things actually being really honest with your partner about what your boundary is, what do you, what do you need in your life and communicating that very clearly. And I guess an example in my life that I would use for the listeners is that 
very early on in my relationship, I said, oh, like, I don't care. Like, I just want to be married. It doesn't matter where, like, as long as it's under the eyes of God, it doesn't matter. And I think deep down, I knew what I was saying wasn't the honest, transparent truth. And, you know, later in my relationship, I actually, you know, opened up to my partner again. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, I don't think I was fully truthful with you. I think I wanted to believe that, but that wasn't the case. You know, I want to be Islamically married at some point. So that's going to be an interesting and and difficult thing to navigate to find someone that will marry us. And there are, you know, there's, there's many organizations, people who will now do that for Muslim women, for partners who don't want to convert, you know, to Islam. I know that it's, it's quite common um, for people to just kind of convert for namesake and, you know, to make things easy. And if that works for you, that works for you. But, you know, there are basically what I'm trying to say is there are like resources and people who will support couples like myself, my own. Um, so it's, yeah, it's always just about being honest about your boundaries and, and realizing that your partner will probably need some grace and some time. It's not going to be something that they'll just understand overnight. They'll need time to process the things that you've told them, the things that you, you suspect that you might experience or face as a couple. And it's about, it's a process that will happen very slowly. And it's just not expecting miracles. Cause I know that for us, it's taken us, you know, I would say pretty much over two years to be in a position where like, we're in a semi, you know, peaceful zone, you know, it's, there's ups and downs and those are naturally going to occur, but it will will take time to reach a place of peace. And that's going to look different for everyone. Like for some people, it's going to be two years. For some people, it'll be five years. For some people, it might be even less time than, than what I've described so far. It could just be a number of months. So it's about recognizing that everyone's experience is different. And it's about giving everyone involved some grace and time and just really openly communicating with both your partners specifically and most importantly and everyone else involved and just doing it as well at the time that feels right for you because I have a a very close friend who's been in a relationship with interracial relationship with her partner for gosh I want to say about six or seven years um and she's only very recently you know shared with her parents that she's in this committed relationship and that looked very different for, for for my relationship and when I spoke to my parents so it's it's actually just respecting when is right for you in your life I don't want to ramble on too much but also like financial independence is super important as well being in a space where you like know that you're you're independent in lots of different ways and that that's a step that you're you're ready to take you know in your life if things don't don't go how you might have hoped yeah absolutely a a dead horse we've beat very often around here is about yeah. the financial independence, so we don't have to go too far in there. Um, but like you said, sometimes it can be frustrating when other people invalidate your relationship or whether or not you're Muslim or you know any of that. How do you handle that? Uh, the, the honest answer is probably that I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get really angry about it. I have a therapist I see once a week. I talk to her about my feelings. I, I tell her how you know, I'm experiencing these things, how they make me feel. Um, I think actually therapy is a really big thing that has helped me navigate a lot of this and, and has been a really useful tool in understanding myself. I know that's not accessible for everyone, particularly for like, you know, listeners in the US. It's, it's just a different experience being in the UK where like, 
you know, we have our national health service. It's, it's a, it's a free service. So, um, it is a privilege, but I think that's really helped me actually cope with, um, some of the questions about my identity from other people or the judgment about who I am as a person, because it just gives me a place to talk about like how that actually makes me feel and talking about how it makes me feel, even if it's very negative feelings actually helps, you know, come to terms with it in the long run. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think I do cope with it very well. It pisses me off. Oh gosh, it's war. Sorry. (laughs) You can. Um, yeah, it, it really, it makes me very upset. Um, but it's again, like trying to recognize that in life, I'm go- I'm almost certainly going to be the disappointment in the family. And that's okay. You know, people can say what they want about me as long as I'm living a happy life and I'm okay with the way that I'm living my life. And then, then the rest doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, other people's opinions don't matter. But I know that's a very easier, um, it's a thing that's very easily said than done. Easier said than done yeah. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. And, but, you know, you're right. Like, I, you know, I can ask all these questions to all of my guests, but there is a point where it's like, you know, I don't have it figured out and I don't know how I deal with it. And sometimes you just shove it far, far away in the back of your head and just <laughs> keep on going. Cause like, you're right. Like, we can just sit here and drown in this, you know, like, yeah. as much as I love doing this podcast, you know, there are always going to be kind of off topic episodes around here because like, I don't want to sit here and drown in it. Like, I don't want to sit here and dissect every single thing about my identity with every one of my guests all the time. Of course. I I don't think people want to listen to it. So I don't. And, you know, sometimes it's cathartic to hear like, oh, all these people are going through similar things. And obviously, like, that's why this show exists. But sometimes it's also just to remind you that like, everyone here, everyone who's been a guest, myself included, we don't have it all figured out and we're not going to do it right every time either. And that's okay. Like all of those things are okay. And you're allowed to be angry and you're allowed to be sad and you're allowed to feel so much grief because I think tied up in all of these things and all of these emotions, every single person in, I, I think in an interracial relationship where there's a family or families struggling, there is grief for everyone involved. There is hurt for everyone involved. And it's 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 like never going to be um something that i i could tell you like this is how you should navigate it and this is going to be the tick box and this is going to figure yeah. everything out and make everyone stop hurting because it just doesn't exist that that's it's yeah. there's no one size fits all answer for these things so i'm i'm always very mindful that it will be a very different experience for everyone going through it and that's actually for for you know people that i have in my in my personal life that have, have gone, are going through something similar. It's a very different, it's a very different process and experience for them. Exactly. And that's what, you know, that's why everyone here, as much as there's really one main topic of this podcast, everyone has a different story. They've all gone through something different. And even if you've gone through similar things, everyone has handled it differently. Yeah, exactly. Um, But the last question I ask all of my guests is if you could leave the listeners here with a piece of advice or some words of wisdom, what would they be? Gosh, that's a big question. (laughs) And given that I have listened to the podcast for some time, I should have seen that one coming. Um, But I think to be honest, it's 
if you know, you know, you've met the right person and they make you, you know, unconditionally happy, um, no matter how hard it feels right now or it felt last week or it will feel in three months time to just continue fighting for that and, and recognizing that it's, it's going to take time and, um, it will be okay in the end, even if it's not okay in the sense that, um, it's not how you envisioned it, envisioned it to be like, eventually it will be its version of, okay, that will be the right thing for you. Um, yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being a guest. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode, you leave us a review on iTunes. You can find the show on all major streaming platforms. You can find me on Instagram at disha.mazeppa. You can shop my Etsy shop, Disha Mazeppa Designs. Find out everything you want to know about this show at dishamazeppa.com. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, you can email bwpspodcast at gmail.com. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye. This podcast is hosted and produced by Disha Mystery Mazeppa. Music for the show was created by Crexwell. Mm-hmm.